It was a dark and dreary day, and clammy, really clammy. Like when you have really sweaty hands that are cold and clammy. It was a day like that, super, super clammy. It was one of those clammy days when all you can think about is shaving off all your body hair, but with a kind of dull razor blade, so that if you accidentally sneeze while you're doing it, and jerk your hand while you're shaving, that you don't accidentally give yourself a TK smoothie. John Hammond says no. The world has no need for more unsullied drones. What the world needs more of are faith detectives. Like me, Rank McBadden, faith detective. A man with more than enough faith to set the record straight when sinners get their hopes up, thinking that they can progress from kingdom to kingdom in the eternities. Sure, it might not make any sense that immortal, eternal existence stretching out forever on both sides of this brief moment in mortality would be determined solely by this time of ignorant blind leading the blind in this tiny blip on the scope of eternity, but things don't have to make sense when you have enough faith. That's what faith is for. John Hammond says no. It also helps you forget unfortunate things, like that a prophet of God, Brigham Young, taught as the highest truth in the St. George Temple, that Adam is the father of both our physical and spiritual bodies, that Adam is the real God of this world, and that he came to this earth from another planet, where he had lived a perfected mortal life. Adam God theory, baby. Sure, that sounds a little strange now, and it may turn people into polyandrous cultists. But with faith, we can just pretend we never had a doctrine in this church that Adam came from another planet, and we can pretend that we were never actually the original Scientologists. I'm Rank McBadden, faith detective. So sit your man buns down and pull out your vapor pipes, because this stuff is about to get real. This is Infants on Thrones. The philosophies of men mingled with humans. We are the core. After your faith has let you down. Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Ostland, and today we are going to be doing uh, Heresies, what is it, five and six, I think? This is the fourth episode in the series of uh, Seven Deadly Heresies. We've got Mike Tannehill back. We've got John Hamer. We've got Randy Snyder. We got Bob Caswell in the house and me. So let's just uh, take it off from our conversation where, of course, we had to ask Mike what he thought about Jordan Peterson since we've been doing this Jordan Peterson truth thing. I think you guys are going to be really, really surprised at what Mike says. So, Mike, Mike, what do you think about Jordan Peterson? I, I've liked him what I've heard of him. I See, I don't think that would surprise anybody. <laughs> <laughs> what's the, what's the, I don't understand the controversy. What's the saying that's controversial? Uh-oh. <laughs> I, what? what am I supposed to say here, Glenn? I want to say the right thing. I'm, he, I don't like him <laughs> because he's sexist, racist, and I don't know if he's been, a, if he's been accused of homophobia yet. <laughs> I'm sure he has, and I just have, I've missed it. But it's mostly, mostly sexism, I'd say. Um, then racism. Then... Talking about all the effeminate... Men that with the man buns and the 
<laughs> well, now those are your words. <laughs> I don't everyone think has, everyone has buns, Mike. <laughs> I, I, you, you I know you like. I know you just like to focus on the men ones, but everyone's got them. <laughs> oh, gosh, going around Tesla, you wouldn't believe all the effeminate, multicolored hair, gauges in their ears, smoking their 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 vapor pipes. It's just you walk around horrified all day. <laughs> vapor it's a nightmare. pipes. <laughs> Wait, where's this? At Tesla. All the employees in Utah. It, no, no, I'm in Reno. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, uh, are you are you working out of Reno, or did you move yeah, to Reno? I moved here just to work at Tesla because it's supposed to be ten years steady work. Oh, oh nice. So you're working for Tesla now. I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm installing the air conditioning. Okay, well, congratulations. That's cool. It's, right. Well, right. we'll see if it lasts the end, through the end of the year. Yeah. <laughs> the uh -oh. next expansion is not going to be till January. They pushed it back like almost a year. So I got some lean times going between now and January. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So I'm hoping to stay employed there and keep it steady. Well, you can always start a GoFundMe. I think a Mike, <laughs> a Mike Tannehill GoFundMe would go over really well in the X1 community. <laughs> oh, no, no, I, I meant GoFuck me. <laughs> Mike, if you started a GoFundMe, I'd be the first one to donate. I just want to throw it out there. <laughs> I would like yeah. to, to gather you know, some money for a G.I. Joe flag, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're saving up for uh, a mint condition of uh, McConkie's. Uh, I didn't get a mint one. I got one, but I didn't get a mint one. It uh, is a first edition, though. Okay. Well, it's first edition, second printing. Cool. I can't even find one of the first edition with like the dust jacket. There's no. It's just. It's like a unicorn horn. Mm. It's probably with the golden plate somewhere. The angel just <laughs> like took it up. I, I'm willing to bet they have a copy on the shelf in there. Yeah. Yeah. Go in the and, Hill Camorra, and there's a little bookshelf of modern stuff, and there's that one. Which which Hill Camora, the the one in New York or the actual one that Moroni hid all of the records in? Oh, that's a good good point. Because that's in Utah somewhere, right? No, <laughs> isn't it? I, okay. I I favor the Hopewell hypothesis. I think the Hopewell may have been the Nephites. Oh, okay. Personal oh. personal guess. Which doesn't require two Camoras, right? That means you're in New York still with Camoras. Yeah, they were all around. They had a massive empire all over the. And it's it's uh, accurately named the hope. Oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, I think we're on uh, deadly heresy number five in this series, but it's been a couple of months. Mm. Just a couple. Well, if, if we if we already did number five so. and now we do it again, everyone will get to hear how completely alternately different everything we say is. And so yes! <laughs> Maybe we should start with four then, just for kicks. No, we have too much to cover. Uh, five is good. Five is good. Okay, All right. Even after, after seven, then he goes off on uh, this bashing of, you know, all of the, you know, every, you know, all of the rest of Christianity or whatever. So that's worth talking about. Yeah. That must have been where we were. Cause that's where my page left off. Oh, there we go. You haven't been reading it since then. Mike. No. Mike. Well, it's not the Book of Mormon, Glenn. I mean, it is just an apostle's talk. But it's, but it's Bruce, man. That's true. Bruce R. McConkey. It's almost to that level. <laughs> All right. So, Bob, do you want to kick us off with five? Yeah, sure. So, Heresy 5. Heresy 5. There are those who say that there is progression from one kingdom to another in the eternal worlds. Or if not that... 
lower kingdoms eventually progress to where higher kingdoms once were. This is worse than false. It is an evil and pernicious doctrine. It lulls men into a state of carnal security. It causes them to say, God is so merciful, surely he will save us all eventually. If we do not gain the celestial kingdom now, eventually we will. So why worry? There are those who say that there is progression from one kingdom to another in the eternal worlds, or that lower kingdoms eventually progress to where higher kingdoms once were. Oh man, it sounds like he's going to ruin my hopes and dreams here. <laughs> um, this belief lulls men into a state of carnal security. It causes them to say, quote, God is so merciful. Surely he will save us all eventually. If we do not gain the celestial kingdom now, eventually we will. So why worry? Close quote. <laughs> that sounds like uh, Heath Ledger's Joker. <laughs> oh, that, that was why so serious. <laughs> That's also a nice straw man. Oh, explain that. <laughs> really? You hear, have you ever heard Mormons talk like this? Ever? Why worry? Yeah. <laughs> ever? Has that I, ever been a message in any I, lesson or home teaching or talk in a uh, sacrament meeting? I was definitely guilty of this heresy, and I may not have. Oh, but ever... you're Glenn. You're, I know. You're <laughs> you a said fucking any weirdo. Mormons. You're a fucking weirdo. I, I, I was a Mormon once. Oh, yeah. I don't okay. know. I, I, but I, I did. I did think it didn't really make any sense to me that there wouldn't be progression between kingdoms. I thought there were, and I also thought that things like forgiveness would be more available after this life than McConkie would want people to believe. But yeah, well, I was always, I was always the weirdo in the other way, just like extrapolating logically because again, if everything exists forever and we have to have had progression up until now to continue to have, have it. Right. But then all of a sudden in the future, there's like a ton of us that aren't going to be able to progress anymore because we're in the wrong kingdom. I was like, wait, what? Wait, so how do you square eternity with the not part of eternity in the future because we've infinitely been progressing up until now until we're going to stop because now it's over for those people who didn't do things right now in the right way so it was always confusing to me that there wouldn't be some sort of out to continue otherwise it's, it's super damning it's like really discouraging to think that's that. why it's called damnation bob yeah but you you think that like tk smoothie life would be at least you know not the worst. I thought there was TK the Joseph Smith movie. Yeah, where you don't have genitals, but you're still in a glory state. What? <laughs> you guys have never heard of this. We're going to get comments. Everybody who knows about the TK smoothie, send a comment to Glenn. Uh, it's TK stands for Telestial Kingdom, and it's because... Oh, I thought it stood for the kin or something. No, no. The, the, it's the doctrine of, of, you know, you don't have... I mean, if you extrapolate, you don't have genitals if you're not in the in the. I never period. heard that referred to as TK <laughs> smoothie. That's hilarious. Really? This yeah. is our first time bringing that up on the podcast. That was in the blogosphere forever, like a decade ago. That's crazy. Uh, so anyway, there's a lot of us that might end up with a TK smoothie, <laughs> but it's still a celestial king. It's, it's still a, a kingdom of glory that's better than earth such that you know we'd want to kill ourselves to get there or whatever that quote is that i'm butchering but somehow 
um, I don't know that I buy that because if you don't make it to the celestial kingdom, you it's that is like damnation. Even like the middle one. Well, part I, I, part of this. Go ahead. I was gonna say I was always taught that um, you could progress within a kingdom, but you can't jump kingdoms. That right. Was, mm-hmm. That's yeah. what I my understanding and my what I was taught. Yeah. But we also have to look at the the, the reason repentance here is so important is because of the time crunch. In, in this mortal life, we have a, a, what's the word I'm looking for? Finite. A, con- a concept of time. So I have to hurry and do something because the day's short or mm-hmm. I need to get this done within the next year or I'm going to set a goal for this time period. In the eternities, the crunch of time isn't really as, as uh, important. And so you're not setting those same goals to improve yourself. So it really it wouldn't factor in in the eternities like it does in this life. You can't set goals if, if you're in a timeline of eternity. You can. That, that but eternity it, must be hell. This shows, this shows more of your character. For you, it will be. But yeah, but take, I mean, obviously that makes total sense, Mike. Um, how, how uh, you say a 65 year life, which is a total blip. What you do in that sixty-five years determines it shows more, it shows the next more of your character. What? But I mean, what? does that does that never bother you though, Mike? When you've got like all of time stretching out in infinity on both ends mm-hmm. of mortality, but this little brief part of mortality determines where you are forever and ever and ever. Does that not ever bother you? No. Okay. <laughs> not really. Well, what do you think about the TK smoothie thing? Is that is that does that bother you? I had a companion in the mission home that, that was concerned about that. He, <laughs> he went on. He was a recent convert that was going on his mission, and he was very concerned about being good so that his genitals wouldn't be taken away. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that's I, real, or is that I just? Avoid, like a, I avoided him as much as possible. <laughs> is that a real part of Mormonism, or is that just like a historical? That's a folklore supposition. Thing. Okay. That's so then, silly. what what do you have your genitals for if you can't use them? They just shooting blanks the whole time. Can you have sex in the other kingdoms? I, I'm sure there's some law that applies. I I don't know how that that's works. A, that's a good diplomatic answer. I like it. <laughs> um, yeah. What's that noise? Oh, I think just Mike was shuffling on his desk. Oh yeah. yeah. Was a rustling noise? Yeah. yeah yes. It was a nervous rustle. <laughs> Well, I don't, I mean, what, what kind of iterations of this uh, statement, this in quotations, do you think Bruce McConkie was coming across in, when was this talk given? 81, I think. 81, right yeah. before he died. Um, but, you know, where was, do you, what do you think forms of Mormonism that I, I wasn't familiar with, was he coming across? He had to have come across this. Yeah. With this was this was this from the hippie dippy movement? I'll, I'll I'll have to go back and look at some of the emails we got a couple of months ago when when we were doing this because somebody, and or maybe it's on the website on the comments that that somebody showed us uh, there was a conflict between Eugene England um, and McConkie, um, and and a lot of this response in the Seven Deadly Heresies was an indirect uh, response to things that Eugene England were, were saying. Um, so maybe that would be a place to start to try and answer that question, Randy. Well, yeah. And, well, the, and the rest of the heresy, actually, he, he 
I think he indirectly supports the idea that you can hop inside of the kingdom, and, but we'll get there. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead and finish, because I cut you off midway through. Uh, okay, so... It lets people live a life of sin here and now with the hope that they will be saved eventually. The true doctrine is that all men will be resurrected, but they will come forth in the resurrection with different kinds of bodies, some celestial, others terrestrial, others telestial, and some with bodies incapable of standing any degree of glory. The body we receive in the resurrection determines the glory we receive in the kingdoms that are prepared. So he continues, it lets people live a life of sin here and now with the hope that they will be saved eventually. The true doctrine is that all men will be resurrected, but they will come forth in the resurrection with different kinds of bodies, some celestial, others terrestrial, others telestial, and some with bodies incapable of standing any degree of glory. The body we receive in the resurrection determines the glory we receive in the kingdoms that are prepared. All right. I want to pause, pause you there. And I want to ask John, um, in, in community of Christ, how is this doctrine interpreted it, it does it vary from the brigamite branch yeah of course you I mean so this is all so of course you know, okay. super literal and you know so that none of this none of this you know, no, everything here is like there's an actual kingdom there's actually this none of n all of this stuff is just human made you know things that people now, wait 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 this in, is just in no, Moses. This, well, let me tell you what I'm saying. All <laughs> okay. of this stuff. All right. No one, no one. I mean, if you want to have, you can have any kind of belief about afterlife you want in community of Christ. It, but one of the things that, you know, I think is generally argued is, is that existence, if you believe in afterlife, existence is so fundamentally different that any human description of it in this life, you know, is simply metaphorical, symbolic. It has nothing to do with, you know, what you, it's, it's simply indescribable. Some, you know, whatever, uh, some other non-mortal life, some other existence beyond what we have here. And so it's largely speculative and frankly, a waste of your time to be worrying about it. And which is why all of our um, emphasis and focus is on this life. It, and, and I, I'm assuming that are, are, are you um, talking only about the way that community of Christ is today, or is that, is, does that go back to um, the, the founding of the church when it broke off from, from, from the Brighamite branch or the Brighamite branch broke off from well, Everybody it. was the same in 1830 to 1844. So, you know, wherever the evolving ideas were there. I mean, essentially what we're dealing with here is, um, you know, when, when we're, when people are speculating about afterlife and you're doing a, you know, like the original book of Mormon uh, vision, is anti-universalist, right? So many early people in the Second Great Awakening had become universalist. Universalism was in Joseph Smith's family and things like that. And the idea, therefore, is that all people eventually, you know, will be saved because if you're talking about eternity, everybody is eventually going to, you know, be with God and be in the highest degree of glory, whatever you want to call it, in that kind of a thing. And so that's what Unitarian Universalism ultimately, you know, was about. It was saying that, saying at a certain point that people are damned it, it, for anything that they would do in a little earth life is so um, unjust, ultimately, that it's, that people found that philosophically uh, just completely not, not consistent with a God whose definition is the greatest good, right? And perfectly merciful and all those kind of things. And so there's the sense then that there everybody would eventually be 
universally saved. So the Book of Mormon's uh, theology fights back against that and it's very clear that there is, you know, that people are going to heaven or they're going to hell and hell mm -hmm. is hellfire and a pit of hell. And so it rejected universalism and that is the idea of where Joseph Smith was at in, as of 1829. Uh, but then- So Joseph he, Smith would have seen universalism as a deadly heresy? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and he also wouldn't have had any idea about, you know, three degrees and all these kind of things, this sort of um, Swedenborgian or whatever, you know, yeah. influx of ideas into, into the idea. So essentially we have at this point now a, uh, a softening of the, um, of the kind of this dualism of you're really damned and you're going to be in hellfire for eternity. And so now we're going to say, well, the, the worst, mostly almost everybody except Hitler or Lucifer, or whoever it is, whoever, you know, uh, John C. Bennett, whoever is getting the outer darkness, but everybody else is at least going to get the telestial kingdom, which is as good as thing as uh, places you can have on earth. Right. And so yeah. then there is that sense that, you know, we're not quite to universalism, but we at least have everybody is going to end up, you know, okay at some point. But that's then, the Mormon paradox. Yeah, and then here is a reaction against that, which is to say, but you still aren't going, you still are going to be functionally damned because of the potential yes. that you would have had, yes. um, you know, to move on and on and on and on for eternity. The entire purpose of existence, you, that is denied you. So whether it's actual hellfire and, you know, uh, and, and punishment and searing pain or whether you're just, you know, at the Bellagio for the rest of eternity, you know, or so whatever, <laughs> no. on whatever, it's still, it's still damnation. So it's still the same harsh, you know, you know, you know, eternal damnation thing. And yeah. so this, this paradox that they're going back and forth and they can't decide. But in any event, like, like I say, where we're at in community of Christ is that this is not an argument, an argument that we have. Okay, now I definitely want to get to Mike and the Book of Moses as being like the foundation for reality. But before <laughs> we do, you said Swedenborgian and skipped over that really, really quick. I, I have always been so fascinated with Emanuel Swedenborg and like influences on Joseph Smith and the Three Degrees of Glory and other things, but I've never really explored it in, that, in, in depth. I, I got an audio book a couple of months ago that I think was heaven and hell from, from Swedenborg. And it was so dry and boring. I just couldn't, I couldn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I don't, I don't know. Do that know about direct, I don't know that there's any direct contact. All I know is that Swedenborg also proposed a, a view of afterlife that included three degrees of glory. Didn't he use so, the same words for him or, or celestial and terrestrial, maybe not telestial, but I, I can't imagine they use telestial because that is a, an incredible embarrassment. <laughs> you know, so I mean, celestial it has no meaning. It is not, you know, I'm, it does I, now. No, it doesn't. So I mean, the the, word, you know, the words are like, as I've always, group, often said here. If we're going to do this, things are properly known as the. Um, uh, I'm trying to think what the second one is. It's, anyway, it's the heliacal kingdom, the uh, selenical kingdom, and the sidereal kingdom. In other words, sun, st moon, and stars, not. Mm -hmm. Right. not heavens, earth, and right. nothing. <laughs> because yeah. obviously all of these kingdoms are celestial kingdoms. Celestial means heavenly, right? And right. so in other words, they refer to star, sun, moon, and stars. So yeah. Yeah. It's, it's coming out of a place where a person doesn't know Latin, they don't know Greek, they read a little bit of Paul's letter, whichever one it was, that where he talks about this vision, as you've talked about before, Glenn, yeah. which is very clearly about the two 
understood spheres in Aristotelian worldview that Paul is writing in, which is to say the terrestrial sphere, the celestial sphere, totally corruption, incorruption, imperfection, yeah. perfection, which is exactly Platonism. In other words, right. this is exactly the the Greek science. This is this is basic science that everybody knew in Paul's day. They don't know it in Joseph Smith's day. It's a complete misreading of it. And so the vision results yeah. from that. But I, I want to go back to anything more to, to any more light to shed on Swedenborg. No, I'm sorry. Okay. I, I want to go back to the, the point that John made, which is that there's this, well, there's this huge paradox because if you think of it, I almost want to say mathematically, whether or not the, the, the degrees of glory below the celestial kingdom are on a spectrum and they're an inch apart or they're a mile apart, it doesn't matter because everything is infinitely apart from the celestial kingdom. So if you look at it mathematically, it's all the same on the left-hand side when, you know, outer darkness, celestial, terrestrial, they're all right next to each other compared to celestial, which is infinitely across space and time in some other direction. So it doesn't really matter. So it's this false sense of hope that Mormonism gives to to its people, I guess, where it's like, oh, we don't do heaven and hell. We just have three versions of hell that we call heaven until you figure out that really, if you can't have sex and progress and do everything in the highest degree of the one, and all these distinctions of all the others that are all grouped together over here, like, what's the point of that other than a bait and switch or a, a model just to pretend like we're special or different when in reality, it's all just together and it's just the different versions of the same hell. Yeah. So philosophically, there's no difference. I mean, I mean, in terms of a, a sales pitch, as you're trying to do it, as people are worrying about, you know, like eternal damnation, where like at a 50% cutoff or where, whatever it mm. is, people are getting a, a C minus or, or, you know, you know, there's like a one moment of cutoff and people who, who get a D, you know, or maybe a B minus, whatever, whatever the level you pick is in, in eternal hellfire where they're in torment for eternity, right? And so, in, and so by switching that to you simply have no future and your entire existence is a waste, but at least you're not being <laughs> tortured, um, it, it is philosophically the same, but it, it sounds nicer. Yeah, Well, totally Mike, I have, Mike, I have a question for you. Because <clears throat> yes. like, when you have like things like the psychopath test, and uh, you have like all these attributes, like 20 different attributes of, of what makes a psychopath mm. or what psychopaths display. The problem and the reason why um, the psych, uh, psychopath is not uh, listed in the DSM is the problem of the demarcation line. So what is the demarcation line between celestial and terrestrial? And how, well, is, how is one who thinks about it at all not going to go crazy worrying about the demarcation line. The, the example I was going to give is in the book of Moses, when Moses meets God, the father or Jesus Christ, whichever he has to be trans transformed to or transfigured is the word he uses to stand before God. And then he can stand before God and have a conversation. You remember when he came down the mountain, he had to veil his face so the people, people couldn't bear to look at him because he was glowing and all that. And then later in the chapter, Satan appears and tempts him with all I don't think this is going to address the demarcation question, Randy. <laughs> I'm following it, though. But, but, but I like it. I like it. We'll get, we'll get back to it if it, if it but, doesn't. But, as it goes on to say, everybody has a different resurrection. Mm -hmm. All right? So the, the, the ability you've had in this life to get in tune with the Holy Ghost and wait, sanctify wait, wait. yourself. How, 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 but but how, does that, how, how does that Moses story mean that everybody gets a different resurrection? Be, because you have to be transfigured. So in the resurrection, 
you are resurrected in the body you have prepared in this life, depending on how spiritual life you've led to be like God. You receive a different type of body. If you remember in the temple. Yeah, I just don't know what that has to do with, with Moses having to be transfigured to be in the presence of God. Well, even yeah, if like two okay. things to me. No, what he's saying is like uh, you you're awarded the body you des- you earned in right. this life. Right. This still leaves a demarcation problem. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we can get back to demarcation. I still don't understand the anyway. Yeah. Well, if you're and living he, a certain he's saying that the transfigured body is the body that is the celestial body, right? So, right. So in that same. So sure. this is the reason why. Um, uh, Mormonism drew upon Moses and Elijah, as, and, and, and indeed early Christianity did, um, you know, and had them be on the Mount of Transfiguration uh, in that in the Mark and story. There is that the idea was that um, in the Old Testament they, you know, are two of the two of the people that walked with God or who didn't see death, depending on which part of the Pentateuch you're reading for Moses' sake. But anyway, and so as a result of that, there's this idea that they're translated or transfigured and so that they already have a celestialized body that can happen, in other words, without having to have them be died and then resurrected. And so Paul talks about that too, which is to say he felt that he was going to live to see the you know, the second coming, a literal second coming, and that he thought that he and many of the other people that you know had pl- been planted in his church would all just live to see that and then they would... Um, be transfigured or trans, you know, at that That's moment. like in the twinkling of an eye doctrine, right? You'll just be transformed in the twinkling of an eye instead of having to experience death. Die and be resurrected. Yeah. So basically, that... if you're living a life in this life, you don't mm-hmm. have to be called to be a prophet. But if you're living a life in this life where you are in tune with the Holy Ghost and you feel his presence, you're going to be okay. But but with that demarcation question of Randy's, you're you're asking like, um, at, at what point do you cross over from telestial into terrestrial? And yeah, like yeah. how many masturbations do you get for, <laughs> is there a number? It, there's a section in the well, DMT. What is it? 76? The, 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 yeah, that's the, that's the thing goes on. It starts quoting DMT 76. But the, the issue is this, is that what are the covenants you make for terrestrial and what are the covenants you make for celestial? You make covenants for the telestial kingdom? That's your baptismal covenants. What? Oh, yeah, I've heard this before, actually. I think I know what you're talking about, Mike. It's like uh, they build upon each other, and they're, and they're, that's why that's the idea of moving through the temple into the different rooms. And that that yeah. doesn't make any sense because there's a wow. whole hell of a lot of people that are going to the T-Lestral that never made baptismal covenants. Wait, wait. That means you're saying, you know, by your logic, Mike, here, uh, unless you're baptized Mormon, you're going to go to outer darkness because you haven't taken the first step. No, outer darkness is worthy. completely different. I, I never about... heard this. I never heard this as, uh, when I was a, a Mormon. So what you're saying, Mike, is if you just get baptized and then you die after that. Are you keeping the you, covenants, though? You, you're not celestial material. The co- you're the only celestial. No, the covenants, you have to live the covenants or it doesn't take effect. Any, any covenant you make has to be ratified by the Holy Ghost. If you're not keeping the covenants, it, it, it doesn't have the effect on you. Boy, I, I'm not I, understanding I, things tonight. Glenn, let me, let me try. Um, I remember, do you know how temples didn't used to be one room with the lights just getting brighter as the, as the ceremony went on? Sure, yeah, it used I know. To be, it used to be you, you transitioned between three rooms. And, I and went through the Manti Temple, dude. Okay. I, know. I, I, just, I just didn't want to be like, hey, does everyone have Manti Temple cred like me? Um, oh, I got, I I got mean, a I don't two, mean baby. I've been a rose on my nose, but I've been through the Manti <laughs> oh, yeah. Temple. 
Here we go. That's the new thing, man. Gosh. No, was, no, I was freaked at, out when Satan came out in a black suit. I was freaked the fuck out. I'm trying to do this in a way that I don't offend Mike. <laughs> no, no. Now, as you go through the different kingdoms, yeah. the first kingdom terrestrial or telestial, you make no... no uh, Covenant or sign or whatever. Right. You make no offering. You make no presentation because it doesn't matter what you've done with your physical body in the resurrection. Right. That's right. the lowest kingdom. It's only the second and third kingdoms you make a presentation of your material. Okay, I see. So you're talking about the, the progression through the temple. There's these different tokens and signs um, associated right. with each. So if you if you thing. kept the covenant okay. of the terrestrial, right. which is baptism, you've you've you're going to get that resurrection. If you keep the celestial covenants that you make in the temple, then you're worthy. Yeah, see, that's where you're losing kingdom. me. I think I I never heard that before because if you if all you've ever done was be baptized and you live up, but to did you keep it? And you keep it. That was the part that I was saying right there when you interrupted me and said that you keep it. If if you're just baptized and you keep it, but you never get endowed, you still are eligible. I mean, you have to have like the proxy work done later, I guess. I don't know, but I never yeah, thought yeah. that that I never thought that that associated you with the telestial kingdom. Well, all of the covenants are a school. So if you if you if you do the work of the school anyway without making the covenant, and somebody does your work later, it's going to have its effect on your resurrection. Okay. But Everything you have to goes. live live the covenant. <clears throat> the yeah. legalistic God and all of his statutes. Right. <laughs> yes. Goes deacon, teacher. Nobody becomes a teacher before they're a deacon, and so Every, there's an order in the kingdom. Yes. Yeah, the, I I I've mentioned to to you guys before we started recording that um, I've been listening to lectures from this guy named Alan Watts who was around in like the '60s. He died in ni- 1973, so he hasn't been around a long time. But you can find stuff about him on YouTube. And one of the things he talks about he 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 introduced Eastern religions to the West. What was one of those guys in the '50s and '60s that did that? Um, but he talks about this idea of God as a monarch. And how that stems, you know, he traces back the tradition and says, you know, well, because you had these monarchs that had power and they set rules and they were the ones that were legalistic and made you bow before them and all these things. And that's why the conception of God then modeled after this monarchy kind of thing. It was it was a way of viewing it that I'd never thought of before that I thought was really interesting. But the funny thing is about our ideas of God is that our symbols, the images the mythological forms which we use to describe God have an extremely powerful influence on our feelings and on the way we behave. After all, I was a member of the Church of England when I was a small boy, and that had a very powerful effect on me. And in the Church of England, it's quite obvious, uh, from an emotional point of view, as distinct from a very intellectual point of view, that God stands behind the King of England. And the King of England and the Archbishop of Canterbury and the whole hierarchy of lords and ladies and noblemen and officials who descend from this point are somehow involved, at any rate this is perfectly clear to a small boy, are somehow involved with the hierarchy of heaven. These are things that that if you're brought up in that environment, you take for granted. That seems to be the natural attitude to God. But imagine someone coming in from a culture where God is not conceived in the image of kingship. How strange he would find this behavior. There's all this bowing and scraping, because you know very well that places where they bow and scrape and where there are thrones, 
are places of terror. Because anybody who rules by force is and must be basically terrified. That's why he has to have all these protections, why he has to be addressed in the right form of language. And so uh, in the courts of kings, they have to be serious because kings are afraid of laughter. They're also afraid of being attacked suddenly. So everybody has to <laughs> kneel down. Because if you kneel down or prostrate yourself, you're at a disadvantage. And the king stands or sits at his throne with his bodyguards ranged on either side. See, like that, we've already got the form of a church. The bishop at his throne, his attendant canons and clergy flanking him on either side. The very titles of God in the Bible, king of kings and lord of lords, are of course borrowed from the Persian emperors. And so the rites that have become associated with Christian religion are reflections of those great autocratic monarchs of the ancient Near East, the Cyruses of Persia, the pharaohs of Egypt, and people like Hammurabi, who were the great Chaldean monarchs. The universe was conceived then as being ruled on a political pattern like that, so that Hammurabi in particular, and Moses after him, they were the wise ones who laid down the rules. They were the patriarchs who said, now this is the way everybody's got to behave. And since you can't all agree among yourselves as to what the rules are going to be, I'm going to tell you what to do. And since I'm the toughest guy around here, and I've got these brothers of mine who are pretty tough too, we're going to say, this is the law, see? And you've got to obey. And, and then he explains how Hindus view God differently than this um, monarch boss in the sky kind of thing and, and Buddhists. And anyway, he talks about the Eastern religion. That's fascinating. The legalistic God. A, me, literal, a literal man on a literal, literal planet. Yeah. <laughs> orbiting a literal star. Well, and I thought yeah, Jesus hated Pharisees. I don't get it. Well, <laughs> this is, there's a vast, vast diversity within Christianity, especially if Mormonism is included within Christianity. And so the, you know, this literal thing of a guy on a planet or whatever, obviously that does not have anything to do with everybody else, right? Mm. But but isn't the, the conception of God as a monarch pretty consistent yeah, with yeah, yeah. No, that's definitely that, So the, that that image, um, you know, is how, uh, not, not, not God or as in terms of the creator, but God in terms of the second person of the Trinity, Jesus is portrayed, uh, you know, in all Christian art from the fourth century onward until you get to, um, the Black Death, when everything changes again, is as a more or less as the Roman Emperor, right? Because um, because Christianity becomes the state religion of the Roman Empire, and so when you see the giant um, mosaics, the Byzantine, beautiful Byzantine mosaics of Christ Pantocrator, it is Christ as the Emperor, more or less of of the universe. Uh, mm. But the model is of the Roman Emperor, who who is essentially his proxy you know, on earth. And, uh, you know, and so that's, um, but yeah, that was certainly the image in, in Christianity throughout all that time period. In, in theory, that's um, uh, from the rest restoration perspective, that's apostate Christianity, right? So in other words, this is the problem of mixing the church and state, you know, that the restoration was trying to get back past, you know. But also keep in mind all the legalisms came in like among the children of Israel when they kept asking for demarcation lines and God was forced to give them to them. 
to get them to shut up. I know, but I thought that was all fulfilled with Christ. Yeah, well, yeah, no, no, the early Christianity is very anti-legalism, and and, um, Paul is very strongly says that if you, he actually even calls, um, uh, he calls the stone tablets of Moses the the uh, covenant of death, <laughs> and he says that if you and the the liter- literal interpretation of scripture brings death, but the spirit brings life. So so both Jesus and Paul and the early church are like that. But very quickly, Christianity, you know, you know, everyone loves lot rules. <laughs> they want to know facts. They want to know how many times they can masturbate. To Bob's point, <laughs> you know, in other words, what you know how it all works, and so the rules creep in, and and now you know. You talk right. about the, crazy, the higher law is a philosophy. Realistic. Yeah, the higher law is a philosophy and just a way to be. It doesn't have you don't have to spell out everything if you're living by the Holy Ghost. But yet, but the, don't you? Those rules are still important <laughs> and essential and central. Yeah. If if it was such a higher law, Mike, why wouldn't we live like philosophically on our honor when it comes to like just basic society and government? We all just live by the principles that we all aspire to, and we just assume that we're all using the same interpretation and assumptions. Don't you think that's a little chaotic and going to get us all in different places? Well, every year we get more laws, and there's a reason. It's because people always want to push an envelope. Where's the line so I know where I can push it? Where's the line so I know where I can push it over and over and over again? That's why we have all these lawyers these days. Fair point. Fair Fair point. Okay. There's a scripture somewhere. I don't remember where it is now, but it might have been DNC. Maybe it was the Book of Mormon. Um, but saying that people wanted um, laws, they wanted kings, they wanted um, a stumbling block, so God gave it to them. It, it was it was something of of that. D- does that ring any bells? Yeah. What, what, what is it? What what am I misremembering? But behold, the Jews were a stiff-necked people, and they despised the words of plainness and killed the prophets, and sought for things that they could not understand. Wherefore, because of their blindness, which blindness came by looking beyond the mark, they must needs fall. For God hath taken away his plainness from them, and delivered unto them many things which they cannot understand, because they desired it. And because they desired it, God hath done it, that they may stumble. I don't remember the citation. I know what you're talking I mean, about. I mean, I mean, so it's a if I'm trying to think if it's actually Christian, but it's a, certainly a Mormon interpretation of, uh, you know, of the period from judges to kings. You know, in other words, mm-hmm. that, um, you know, there's a big actually. It definitely is. It's definitely biblical where uh, there's a um, lament of the kings, like Samuel, the last of the judges, the last of the prophets. Um, you know, finally kind of caves in and actually gives people two competing kings. But um, but one of the things that he like, there's an early poem that is in the in Samuel, where uh, it says, "If you if you have a king, what's he going to do? He's going to ta- he's going to take your sons. He, he's going to tax you. Take your sons and your daughters. Your sons he's going to take to uh, to become soldiers, and your daughters he's going to take to be maid servants or concubines or whatever in the ca- in the court. And so, uh, you you guys know what you're signing up for if you want to have a king like everybody. Has, and then they they want one, right? So. Mm-hmm. And I think that same thing is expressed in the Book of Mormon as well as they're trying to, um, you know, go between kings and and the and the and the rule of the judges or whatever, right? Because they go the opposite way. They have a king and then they go to the judges. The the, the way I remember it, though, I think it was something more like that. The gospel's really simple. The gospel's really simple, but people right. wanted things that were hard to understand, so God made it hard to understand. <laughs> 
I, I heard something similar. That. Yeah. Sounds like a nice out for nothing makes sense. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's your fault, then. <laughs> can can we finish this heresy? Yeah. You want right. me to read it? There's there's just a couple scripture quotes. It's not that much longer, so I'll just burn through it, and then we can see what else we got. Of those right. in the telestial world, it is written, and they shall be servants of the Most High. But where God and Christ dwell, they cannot come worlds without end. Of those who remain unmarried in eternity, the Revelation says, Therefore, when they are out of the world, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are appointed angels in heaven, which angels are ministering servants to minister for those who are worthy of a far more and an exceeding and an eternal weight of glory. Let me amend that amend what I said, that is referring to people who had opportunity to be married right in this life and who were not. And of them, the revelation continues, For these angels did not abide my law. For these angels did not abide my law. Which law? Therefore, uh, law of marriage. The one uh-huh. that used to mean... A lot like me. The, yeah. the, one that, the one that was paused in... Uh... Yes. Yeah, okay, all right. For these angels did not abide by my law of polygamy. No, I'm adding that. For these angels did not abide my law. Therefore, they cannot be enlarged. Therefore, they cannot be enlarged. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> <left here. laughs> it didn't say engorged. <laughs> but remain separately and singly without exaltation in their saved condition to all eternity. And from henceforth are not gods, but are angels of God forever and ever. And ever. DNC 132, 16 and 17. Okay, DNC one last sentence. 132. Uh, just one, two lines, and then we're done with Heresy 5, and we can see what... They neither progress from one kingdom to another, nor does a lower kingdom ever get where a higher kingdom once was. Whatever eternal progression there is, it is within a sphere. And there we go. Well, what so say we you? Can just point, we can just point that, you know, the, um, you know, that he's quoting within that, you know, they, shall, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. The um, statement of Jesus and as related in the Gospel of Matthew 22, 30. And so it's misinterpreting it to say that in this one particular sphere, there'll be no marriage in the resurrection. Rather, what Jesus is saying, in the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. Instead, they will be like angels in heaven. That refers to his conception of afterlife as described by Matthew. It's not for the telestial kingdom or the terrestrial kingdom. So, And what did Jesus in, really Insofar as that is translated correctly, John. It means that... <laughs> It means that there is no marriage in the celestial kingdom or any other kingdom, according to what Jesus said. Well, the or context it, that what we what we know of what Jesus said back then is corrupted, and we sure. now have the revealed word to tell I us. I know. I'm just saying that that's where right, that's Mike? the eighth article of faith, right, Mike? Well, the correct. <laughs> The context it's a misreading of, of what the original is saying there. I'm not saying the historical Jesus actually said that. I'm not saying that that's what it's like. It's a deliberate corruption of the actual intent of the passage. They fixed it. Yeah, <laughs> or as Mike so says, they fixed it. it so it says what they want, but it's completely <laughs> contradictory to the act to Mormon doctrine, which is a neo neo doctrine that's from the 19th century. 
Got it. Yeah, I mean, the context of the question in the New Testament is a woman is married to a man, he dies, she marries the brother, he dies, she marries another, and then it goes on. Right. So it's not and, about marriage after in the afterlife. It's about whether you got married in heaven, who are you going to be married to in the afterlife, and nobody's going to be married in the afterlife. That's the answer. Yeah, and it's pretty clear cut. That's like the polar opposite of polygamy and plural marriage as Joseph Smith. I mean, it's literally, could you be any more the opposite? I mean, the idea of it here is, and, and that's a, the, the gospel is actually doing the same thing that we're talking about. We, we were saying, here these guys, this, these scribes or legalists are, are really trying to, um, you know, kind of trip Jesus up with a legalism. And, and the answer really is afterlife is so different. We can't describe it in these kind of ways as if you're just going to be living like a regular married life or anything like that. It's not like that, you know, and so stop, stop asking about it, frankly. Right. But then, John, if you if you regress that down to zero, then doesn't it just l- end up where with the fundamental question of is there an afterlife? Like, how do you say there's an afterlife if you can't say anything about it and it's meaningless to talk about it? Then is there one in the first place? Right. Maybe, maybe not. Oh, OK, I just I just yeah, wanted to give me that. that. There's no particular, you know, it's not. I think you started that question with a presupposition that John has a, a, a conviction of an afterlife. Not necessarily John, but Christianity, generally speaking, you know, so that's a a departure. Yeah, Uh, they want to keep it vague. Okay. No, a lot of people don't want to keep it vague. A lot of people want want Well, Mormons don't like to keep it vague, but... uh, I'm keeping it vague. (laughs) (laughs) Mike, you look bored. No, I got a a thing between my shoulder blades been hurting me for like three weeks. I'm just trying to stretch it out. Oh, Oh, don't mind me. Okay. We'll get you excited with Adam God next. Yeah. I want to read this one. I want to read it. Heresy 6. Heresy 6. There are those who believe or say they believe. Like Brigham Young. (laughs) That Adam is our father and our God. That he is the father of our spirits and our bodies. And that he is the one we worship. Brigham Young. I know, right? You know who (laughs) keeps this heresy alive? The devil. <laughs> the devil keeps this heresy alive as a means of obtaining converts to cultism. Why? As a means of obtaining converts to cultism. Whoa. Dun, dun, dun. It is contrary, it is contrary to, the to the whole plan of salvation set forth in the scriptures. At least as they're interpreting it right then. And mm-hmm. anyone, anyone who has read the book of Moses... And anyone who has received the temple endowment... As long as it wasn't the one that Brigham Young wrote mm. the Adam God Doctrine Thor when you go into the celestial room, which I think I'm going to read and insert into this. All right, I'm going to insert this here. Um, I first came across this, I don't know how many years ago. It was over 10 years ago. In a book called The Mysteries of Godliness, A History of Mormon Temple Worship by David John Berger. There are several things in that book that just really... Uh, changed the way that I viewed the temple and, and uh, Mormonism. And one of the things that I remember reading in there was that when the St. George Temple was first um, dedicated, uh, you know, it, it was doing endowment ceremonies before Salt Lake, uh, Brigham Young instituted a lecture at the Vale, so like at, at the, uh, the, the highest part of that endowment ceremony is when you go up to the veil and you show all your signs and your tokens and then you're permitted to enter into the celestial kingdom and you go through the veil into the celestial room. And in the St. George Temple at that time, there was a lecture that was given at the veil about the nature 
of God. And this was the further light and knowledge that was being revealed because you've gotten this far. Okay, we're going to reveal to you the true nature of God. And so I'm going to read this. It comes from the book, The Mysteries of Godliness. You can find it on page 111 to 112. And it says, oh, and it's it, this is taken from the journal of, who is it? L. John Nuttall, who was the secretary to Brigham Young. Uh, it says, in the creation, the gods entered into an agreement about forming this earth and putting Michael, or Adam, upon it. These things of which I have been speaking are what are termed the mysteries of godliness, but they will enable you to understand the expression of Jesus made while in Jerusalem. This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. End quote. We were once acquainted with the gods and lived with them, but we had the privilege of taking upon us flesh that the Spirit might have a house to dwell in. We did so and forgot all and came into the world not recollecting anything which we had previously learned. We have heard a great deal about Adam and Eve, how they were formed, etc. Some think he was made like an adobe and the Lord breathed into him the breath of life. For we read, quote, from dust thou art and unto dust thou shalt return, end quote. Well, he was made of the dust of the earth, but not of this earth. He was made just the same way you and I are made, but on another earth. Adam was an immortal being when he came to this earth. He had lived on an earth similar to ours. He had received the priesthood and the keys thereof, and had been faithful in all things, and gained his resurrection and his exaltation, and was crowned with glory immortality, and eternal lives, and was numbered with the gods, for such he became through his faithfulness, and had begotten all the spirits that were to come to this earth. And Eve, our common mother, who was the mother of all living, bore those spirits in the celestial world. And when this earth was organized by Elohim, Jehovah, and Michael, who was Adam, our common father, Adam and Eve had the privilege to continue the work of progression. Consequently, they came to this earth and commenced the great work of forming tabernacles for those spirits to dwell in. And when Adam and those that assisted him had completed this kingdom, our earth, he came to it and slept and forgot all and became like an infant child. It is said by Moses the historian that the Lord caused a deep sleep to come upon Adam and took from his side a rib, and formed the woman that Adam called Eve. This should be interpreted that the man Adam, like all other men, had the seed within him to propagate his species, but not the woman. She conceives the seed, but she does not produce it. Consequently, she has taken from the side or bowels of her father. This explains the mystery of Moses' dark saying in regard to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, when they were placed on this earth, were immortal beings with flesh, bones, and sinews. But upon partaking of the fruits of the earth, while in the garden and cultivating the ground, their bodies became changed from immortal to mortal beings, with the blood coursing through their veins as the action of life. Adam was not under transgression until after he partook of the forbidden fruit. That was necessary that they might be together, that man might be. The woman was found in transgression, not the man. Now, in the law of sacrifice, we have the promise of a Savior. 
and man had the privilege and showed forth his obedience by offering of the first fruits of the earth and the firstlings of the flocks, this as a showing that Jesus would come and shed his blood. Father Adam's oldest son, Jesus the Savior, who is the heir of the family, is Father Adam's first begotten in the spirit world and the only begotten according to the flesh, as it is written. Adam, in his divinity, having gone back into the spirit world and come into the spirit to Mary, she did conceive. For when Adam and Eve got through with their work on this earth, they did not lay their bodies down in the dust, but returned to the spirit world from whence they came. Anyone who has read the book of Moses and anyone who has received the temple endowment and who yet believes the Adam-God theory does not deserve to be saved. Those ensnared by it reject the living prophet and close their ears to the apostles of their day. We will follow those who went before, they say. And having so determined, they soon are ready to enter polygamous relationships which destroy their souls. No one has any excuse for being led astray by this doctrine. Those who are so ensnared reject, and this is the key, the living prophet, and close their ears to the apostles of their day. That's Mm -hmm. important. It is. We will follow those who went before, they say. And having so determined, they soon are ready to enter polygamous relationships that destroy Ah. their souls. Unlike what he just quoted in DNC 132, two paragraphs above, (laughs) what you're saying, if you don't do it, you're going to be an angel forever. But let's forget about that. It's amazing, though, that he literally is saying it without saying it. He's saying, so he's saying here, I am completely rejecting what Brigham Young taught because he's saying that you're not, you're rejecting the living prophet and the apostles this day will follow those who went before. Who are those? You know, it's kind of amazing. Yeah. yeah. And he doesn't really elaborate on this anymore. He just says, we worship the father in the name of the son, by the power of the Holy ghost. And Adam is their foremost servant by whom the peopling of our planet was commenced. Period. Okay. That's it. But I'm, I'm, QED. I, he lost me on, on that one sentence though, but you guys can enlighten me. Cause I feel like I'm missing some historical context when he says, having so determined they, these, these sinners who are trying to find loopholes or whatever, they soon are ready to enter polygamous relationships that destroy their souls. So what yeah, does Adam you, God have to do with polygamous don't, relationships? Don't you, don't, don't you hear, hear what he said, converts to cultism. What is the cult yeah. that he's talking about, right? So obviously but, FLDS. the AUB, the FLDS. The but that's not fair. Those are, those are two different unconnected. It, that's like saying because this person wears the color blue, then they also have blonde hair. It, it's like, no, well, because those, no, guys no, are, those guys are not, we, you maybe think of, you maybe think of all of fundamentalist Mormons. You may think of them as just being the polygs or something like that. The polygamists, even though what <laughs> I they really are is they're, they're fundamentalists who are maintaining all of the things that as, as Brigham Young taught them. Right. And so, and so pe- these are people who read the journal of discourses they are literal believers. It says very clearly what the fundamental doctrines are, and then they, and so then that includes polygamy, but it also includes Adam God. But know? then, but yeah, and, and Bob, it also includes the ban on blacks for the priesthood. They still believe in that. That's unconnected, but it's part of the fundamentalist break at the time of Wilford Woodruff. Okay, so but but he's mis he's he's mischaracterizing a connection that isn't there. The only connection that's there is that he is, a, he is familiar with a group of people 
who, at least in this time and place, hold these two beliefs. But the fact that, but he's making it sound like, sound like because you believe in Adam God, or you, you want to believe in Adam God because it somehow justifies polygamy, but I don't, I don't see, like, he's, he's making that up, right? There's fundamentalists. No, no there's a very serious connection. If you, if you started, if you read how? the Journal of Discourses, if you, okay, if somebody were to, let's say you're a Mormon believer, a literal believer, you read the Journal of Discourses okay. um, and, and things like that, you see that Brigham Young taught that Adam is our God. And then you also, let's say, read along and you find out that we'll, that John Taylor gave a revelation that if the church ever uh, abandons polygamy, it, that saying it's it's abandoned the new and everlasting covenant. How can a God get? How can God break an everlasting covenant? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and so that anybody, if if the church does it, it will be an apostasy. You know, you read a couple things like that, and then boom, you're in the AUB, and that was hap- that happened left and right. It's still happening today. You know, so this. So it's is- just a transitive property. It's because there's a yeah. really high probability that if you believe X then you probably believe Y, but it's not be- because of your belief in X, the That's belief right. in Y exists. It's just because by association. It's part of a whole group of groceries okay. that people buy together. And that's why he even ha- wrote okay. at the beginning of this paragraph that leads you to cultism. Right. I he, see. Okay. Know, I just need that spelled out. I, I think what he's doing is using scare tactics for these BYU students that he's talking to. And he's, he's saying, if you entertain this doctrine then you're going down this path because when you choose the very first step on the road, uh-huh. you also choose the last. And so mm-hmm. if you don't like the end of the road, you better back up, you know, you better back up fast. It kind of makes me want to start a cult that only does like half of them just to like throw people off. Then go and join Denver Snuffer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Already been done. <laughs> okay. Never mind then. And so, by the so, way, it's, so not, Mike, it's not clear. It's not clear that that's not going to end in polygamy anyway. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but right as of as of now, you know, so anyway. right. So, yeah, I, I'm going to anticipate Bob's question to Mike. Mike, how do you square this circle with Brigham Young? <laughs> Thanks, Randy. Well, Bruce R. gives a much more longer response in the letter to Eugene England, and I won't read the whole thing, although it's really oh, good. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, he says Brigham. Well, let me just read the very beginning. He says. Now, may I say something for your guidance and enlightenment? As it happens, I'm a great admirer of Brigham Young and a great believer in his doctrinal presentations. He was called of God. But he goes on to say, Brigham contradicted himself on this subject, depending on which lectures of his you're reading from. He says, you, you go with him when he had the spirit upon him and, was, and his, his teachings synchronized with the scriptures. When he gets okay. away from the scriptures and go to the squirrely stuff, he wasn't mm. speaking as a prophet. He was just a flawed even, man. Even though it's North. at the pulpit of General Conference. Wait, but Mike, that's that's great. So we can do this with any prophet then, right? You, well, this is where I went with the. But, uh, but how do you define how, how how do you define uh-huh. scriptures in that context then of of deviating from scriptures? What do you mean? Say that again. McConkie told Eugene England that once Brigham Young started deviating from the scriptures, he was no longer acting as a prophet. At that so time. At, the, oh, at take- any time. At any time that you deviate from the scriptures, you're no longer acting as a prophet. Uh, Joseph Smith did a lot of things that deviated yes, but, from scriptures and but, are accepted quite prophetically. And then Brigham Young supports to be the next prophet after him. Why, if, if Brigham Young deviates from the scriptures and says, well, here's what this really means, why, doesn't, why isn't that good as when Joseph Smith did it? Proper, proper scriptures and proper teachings support one another. They have proper. a support, oh, it's the internal proper. support system. Who determines what's proper or not? The There's first an internal guy. support system, yeah. 
Well, but anyway, but what it does say, what it does say is that McConkie is clearly saying that, for example, despite the fact that you know, like local um, understanding is that the ensign and everything published in the ensign is scripture, and that's how the Mormon Church has continuing revelation, even though it doesn't add to its scriptures. He's really saying here that those aren't scriptures, right? Because you're talking about if it's in scripture, uh, and which is to say the actual canon, then the and if what their modern things are saying conform to that, then that's you know, essentially them working from scripture, but there isn't any continuing revelation because scripture isn't the, all of the things in the ensign aren't scripture because some of them don't conform to, uh, to uh, whatever the can, the published canon is, right? So we're saying more or less that scripture, that continuing revelation and prophethood is more or less gone in the LDS church. Yeah, it doesn't, I mean, Mike, when you say that uh, whenever, whenever Brigham Young says anything that's outside of the scripture, uh, it's, it's squirrely, then, What's the point of a prophet? It seems superfluous to have a prophet if it's just the scriptures. Well, but that, that's why th- this, is, this goes to the uh, Benson 14 fundamentals of following the prophet thing where he talks about whoever the current prophet is trumps whatever old prophets say because they're getting revelation um, that updates. That's a totally errors, different argument. Right? But no, isn't, that, totally isn't that the answer? That's the out? That yeah, that's what McConkie's saying. McConkie's saying we have a living prophet today. Yeah, yeah, well, but it's not what he was saying to you, Jane England, because you were saying that it conforms with what what conforms with the scripture. If it's what the living prophet says as the trump card, yeah. then that actually trumps all of the dead people who actually are published, you know, Ezekiel or somebody. Including even in scripture. scripture. You're right. Absolutely. Yeah. So <laughs> it depends on what you're, you're right. doing. And, and, and so functionally, obviously, obedience, since obedience is the central uh, doctrine of the LDS tradition now. They're also afraid of being attacked. This is the law and you got to obey then it probably is more the one that just obeying the current leaders is the important thing as yeah. opposed to anything scripture says. Yeah. Yeah. So then why, why don't we read from the current prophets every morning? Why do we read from the Book of Mormon? Eh? Because we left the church, Bob. No, but I, I mean, just, as, you as to, believing, don't you have to give talks on the talks that people give? That's, that's a good point, John. But I, I think but just, you're still encouraged to read the scriptures every day, right? You, you, read, you read the scriptures every day because they're revelation in its recorded form, and you learn the language of revelation and the language of the Holy Ghost over time as you but, repeat the process. But hang on. Isn't that revelation process in language and form, wouldn't that stand to reason that it would be in the modern prophet versions that you should be reading every day and not the old stuff that's been outdated and replaced with the modern prophet stuff? You're supposed to blend them. You get, you get right. an overall flavor. It's okay. like cream, cream in your coffee. You're saying if I, if I read 30% of the Book of Mormon every morning and then like 70% Bob, I, I bet, modern I bet, prophets, that'd be okay. You'd be best off, Bob, if you stopped reading the scriptures and simply read the scriptures as excerpted in the manuals. Oh, that's <laughs> a good one. Then, you, then, you'd know, <laughs> then you'd know you're getting what correlation wants you to read instead of all this stuff that is uncorrelated and, and you shouldn't be reading, Bob. And, and probably, for the, got it. Frankly, got it, got quite it. dangerous for you. Yeah. For, for the love of God, Bob. For the love of God, Bob. the proxy Bob. of like infant Mormon who doesn't know how to you know, adhere right. to the gospel principles. So, yeah, so, whatever stay, you do, stay, Bob. Stay clear of Ecclesiastes. <laughs> yeah, stay clear Long of Ecclesiastes. And- oh, man. And, and Randy was just about to finally get his word in. And, and for the, got it. Frankly, got it, quite got dangerous. For, for the love of God, Bob. <laughs> Not even you, John. Not even you. I'm going to make a fucking point. Don't worry. We'll get to it in part two. And I'm sure that the wait will be totally worth it. Because I'm tired of going... 
Now, this was a really fun episode to listen back to and to edit. And I want to say something in closing of this part one about that clip that I inserted from Alan Watts. Now, maybe this is obvious, but I hope that the main takeaway from what he said is that that monarchical way that we were raised to fear a king god in the sky who doesn't want us to do bad things, that's made up. It's a long, powerful, incredibly influential tradition that's very pervasive. It permeates a lot of our ways of viewing the world. And if you're listening to this podcast, chances are you've already figured that out already, that it's a human construct, not a divine one. But still, so what? It shaped your brain. It still shapes the way you respond to the world, most likely. It's still whipping Jake and Bob and Tom with guilt and shame that they're not doing enough service in the world after they left Mormonism, as evidenced in the previous episode. So I just wanted to call a little bit more attention to it, because for me, when I find myself thinking in those ways with my Mormon-formed brain, it helps to recognize that I'm doing it. And then at least maybe I can try to make a different choice in the way that I interpret things and the way that I feel about myself and I feel about the world. Anyway, so you may have heard as we're wrapping up part one uh, during the discussion, I was starting to get a little cranky and uh, I get even crankier in part two. So something to look forward to, maybe. So tune in next time as we finish this series on McConkie's Seven Deadly Heresies. And hey, you know what? If you liked this episode and you want to hear more behind-the-scenes discussion and commentary with exclusive episodes not available to the general public, then come support us on Patreon, where for as little as $1 per episode, up to any monthly limit you choose, you can support us, and it really helps. And you know what? Look, if you don't... I'm the toughest guy around here, and I've got these brothers of mine who are pretty tough, too. I'm just saying... Hello, brothers and sisters. This is Elder E. Eldon Elderman of the Seventh Quorum of the Seventy. When I'm not interviewing children about their masturbation practices, I monitor the Infants on Thrones podcast for the Strengthening the Members Committee. If you really like what you hear, you can jeopardize your eternal salvation by giving the quorum a five-star rating and writing a short review on iTunes. I didn't, but that's because I want to be resurrected with my genitalia intact. Anyone for the closing prayer? All day. When you choose the very first step on the road, you also choose the last. So if you don't like the end of the road, you better back up. You know you better back up fast. The end of this road is to be dumb. Eeny, meeny, mighty moe. You can't choose the way to go, but if you choose wrong, you will pay something for it every day. Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. Infants on Thrones. Someone ate the cookies from the cookie jar.